This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we discuss psychological and emotional issues and what you can do about them, whether that's learning self-acceptance, taking action, or seeking therapy or treatment. Eight years ago, I extended the walls of my practice to reach those of you who might already be knowledgeable about mental health treatment, but also to those of you who might say, you'd never darken the door of a therapist. And yet, you are here. I'll answer your questions while I invite you to take a few minutes for your own self-work. I've also often told my panic patients that I think of panic as your soul or your gut or your wise unconscious mind literally sending up flares of panic, screaming for your attention. Listen, you're not paying attention to something that's important. If you can even visualize like from your soul or from your gut, little bursts of fire or light saying, listen up, listen up. Welcome to this week's edition of Self Work. Last week, self-work focused on what fear has to teach you, or basically, its gifts to you, what it may lead you to think, feel, or experience. But this week, I want to talk about panic and panic disorder. If you've listened to self-work for a while now, you probably know that I experienced my first panic attack when I was in my late 20s, and having them has changed my life. I thought at the time, for the worse. But I've learned that, like many things, there are gifts to those things that come into our lives as unwelcome, unexpected, or hurtful. I'm not trying to say that everything has a silver lining. That wouldn't be something I'd ever want to infer. However, I hope I've learned something from having panic, although it's caused me much embarrassment, even humiliation in a couple of instances. Now, you may be saying, but what cures them? What can I do to get rid of them? I'm going to answer that as well. Although, I want to quickly say there isn't any cookie-cutter treatment that works for everyone. As my friend and anxiety expert Kimberly Quinlan says, to approach anxiety and challenge its hold on you, her mantra of, it's a beautiful day to do a hard thing applies. It's just hard work, steady work, consistent work. I'll actually share in the show notes with you a guest hosting episode that Kimberly did last year when I was having surgery, and she'll give you seven very specific things to do when confronting anxiety, and I highly encourage you to listen to it. Again, the link will be in the show notes. The SpeakPipe voicemail for today is from a young woman who describes her father as narcissistic and at the least emotionally and verbally abusive. He seems to have demanded that both of his daughters care for him rather than developing lives of their own. Her mom died several years ago, and she's now asking me what to do. As I listened, the tape was a little fuzzy at times. We've tried to clear it up, but I'll do my best to answer her question. And my answer may not be as simple as you think. I was looking up the other day calcium and how it's absorbed. And actually, it's absorbed only in the presence of vitamin D in the small intestine. That's what AG1 has. And in fact, that's what you get for free if you accept their offer. Let's hear from AG1. If you're a longtime listener, you might know I've been drinking AG1 for at least four years. When I started drinking AG1 daily, I could feel such a difference in my stamina. And when I would forget it on trips, which they have travel packs, so there's no excuse, I'm very aware of that lack of stamina. I recommend AG1 to my family and friends, and even my husband, who usually swears off things like this, has started drinking AG1. And he always tells me, as do my friends who are drinking it, that they feel like they're getting the nutrients their body craves. 
That's because AG1 is a foundational nutrition supplement that supports your body's universal needs like gut optimization, stress management, and immune support. Since 2010, AG1 has led the future of foundational nutrition, continuously refining their formula to create a smarter, better way to elevate your baseline health. So get your free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash selfwork. That's drinkag1.com slash selfwork. I promise you, you're going to feel better. In order to prepare for my TEDx Boca Raton talk I did last year, I worked with a couple of speaking coaches. One, I ended learning so much from, it was really phenomenal. But the other and earlier coach said something to me when I shared with her that I had performance anxiety and had struggled through many panic attacks in my life. What she said was not only off-putting, but I knew as a psychologist and clinician, she wasn't correct. What was it she said? Oh, everyone gets nervous, and when you get on the red dot, which is part of the ritual of a TED Talk, all that will just go away. You'll care so much about the message, and you will have practiced so much that panic won't be a problem. Somewhat out of character, I must admit, I didn't respond, telling myself that she wasn't trying to do harm, which I believed, but rather that she didn't understand the logistics of panic. Certainly, there were things she was right about. I did practice constantly. I did visualize and plan how I would focus, and all that helped. But what happened that day was something I'd expected, not feared exactly, but expected. My panic was alive and well. It took everything for me to win that war, win that battle. Because from my waist down, I was trembling, yet I was holding my lower body so tightly that Bob, and I call him Bob because I think it's helpful to externalize your panic. Let me make that statement clear. So I didn't want my anxiety to be seen by others, just felt by me. Afterward, it made it hard to walk off the stage, but I did it. And only a few people saw for themselves how jittery I was. In fact, often when I tell people that I have performance anxiety, they kind of scoff. Someone I was having dinner with looked at me recently and bluntly said, Margaret, you don't have panic. That makes no sense. I have no idea why they think I'd make up something like that. Having a panic attack is a horribly frightening experience, but it's as if they'd bought into their own idea about who I am, and to be fair, probably the persona I'm more comfortable with people thinking, that they can't even hear my words as truth. In fact, just last night, I gave a seminar about an hour long to honors college students here at the University of Arkansas, and I was talking about confronting your fear and leaning into your anxiety. And I said, you know, I have performance anxiety and they, they kind of look shocked because I, you know, I can look pretty cool and comfortable. But I did have it and I'd had to take some medication with me to make sure it didn't get the better of me. Now, panic isn't like anxiety, which often takes the form of a more chronic condition. People with generalized anxiety can have terrible visualizations of bad, even catastrophic things happening to those they love. That's again called generalized anxiety disorder. People with social anxiety, which performance anxiety is a subset of, they struggle with feeling stable in crowds or they worry constantly how they're being perceived in public. People with obsessive-compulsive anxiety feel pummeled by intrusive thoughts that hold anxiety or fear. 
And then they have this accompanying response to those intrusive thoughts with a compulsion or a necessary behavior. And what they believe is that that behavior holds the fear at bay. Whatever they're fearing happening, if you do the compulsive behavior, it keeps it from happening. Like checking to make sure the stove is off or the door is locked. You must do the ritualistic behavior to stave off the anxiety. Other common examples are washing hands or other cleanliness rituals. So anxiety, when it reaches a clinical or life-altering state, is something that you're dealing with most or all of the time. Now, of course, we all get anxious when we have loved ones traveling. Certainly nowadays, there's tremendous cultural and worldwide anxiety that's worsened within the last few years with ongoing wars, both on the military battlefield and the political one in many, many countries. If you're having that kind of anxiety, my suggestion is for you to decrease the amount of time you're spending watching the news or scrolling on social media and spend more time engaged in activities where you feel a sense of calm or purpose, where you're creating good moments that can act to balance whatever sense of unease you may have about what's going on in the world, where you can create a sense of control over what may seem at times like a completely uncontrollable situation. That's anxiety. But panic isn't like that. Panic erupts. There's a reason it's called a panic attack. That's what it feels like. Let me see if I can explain. When it comes on quickly, for example, your vision might be impaired as if you're in a tunnel. Your breathing can become shallow. Your heart is racing. You have to fight the urge to get out of wherever you are. You can shake almost uncontrollably. You can start sweating. Now, not everyone has all of these symptoms, but it literally feels as if your body and mind are being invaded and there's nowhere to run. How are you supposed to run away from yourself? Panic can come out of seemingly, and I want to stress seemingly, nowhere. Because the symptoms mimic those of a heart attack, many people rush to their ER thinking that's exactly what's happening. And that's exactly where you should go, by the way. And hopefully your doctors will be compassionate and not condescending. Perhaps those that had panic in med school may be a little more understanding. Let's talk about the seemingly. Some of the panic attack sufferers I've seen have experienced real-life trauma that now causes them panic. Depending on the intensity of the trauma, this might be diagnosed instead as PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder. A woman, let's call her Dina, who nearly died during childbirth, comes to mind. A young man, let's call him Danny, who fell down an abandoned well in the dark, and it was hours before he got the attention of others and got out. They both met criteria for PTSD. They both had panic attacks. For example, when Danny looked up, mimicking what he was doing when he was down in the well, hoping desperately that someone would hear his cries, His mind and soul were reliving the terrifying time he spent down there. Dina couldn't be away from her child for any reason and would panic if the baby was out of her sight. She made a lot of progress, as did Danny, but panic returned when the child's first birthday came along. Can you imagine? You're celebrating your child's first birthday, but you're also remembering the terror and the horror of what happened that day where you almost died. A little note about Danny, he was making great progress as he was talking about the fears he'd had, but sadly, he had a dad who didn't believe in PTSD or even mental illness, and that dad summoned him home and told him to buck up. I sure hope Danny's okay. But again, there's another panic that has nothing to do with that kind of trauma. 
Alicia came in for treatment because she was panicking when having to go to certain kinds of social events. She was actually having a panic attack at those events. Now, not all of them, but those especially where she felt the need to look a certain way or be a certain way. So what was the difference between the two kinds of events? Actually, it was subtle. One, she wanted to go to. The second, she dreaded. She'd say, I have to put on a show. And so she was having to leave the gathering and go outside so as not to reveal her panic. So her thoughts about the event were setting the stage for either no panic or panic. This actually came down to the fact that she lived in a fairly small town and her family had been in the town for a long time. and Her mother had stressed to her constantly, we have a reputation to maintain. So there was a lot of pressure and actually the need for her to look perfect. So you can see how that might have led to panic disorder. So you might be wondering if my panic was associated with trauma or not. I'd never had trouble performing, never, in any circumstance. I loved it. But one day, that was no longer true. I severely panicked doing something I'd done hundreds of times, singing. It got worse and worse to the point that I left performing, or at least that was one of my reasons. I realized now that I was under immense stress, my life was chaotic, and I was trying to look put together when I was far from it. But why has it stayed and morphed a bit into other situations? I want to be frank with you, I'm not exactly sure. It began initially when I was living a life, most of which I wasn't proud of. I was really lost and trying to not look that way. Why exactly has it continued? I don't really know again. You know what? Perhaps I still have something to learn. But what it has taught me is humility. What are the treatments that can help? There are lots of articles that you can read about this. My own patients have benefited from a mixture of approaches. One that incorporates regular exercise, meditation or some kind of breath work, self-compassion work, some mental approaches that work well for some like CBT or cognitive behavioral therapy. If needed, trauma work such as EMDR, eye movement desensitization, or e-processing therapy. That's a mouthful, in it? Or even ketamine infusions. Both of those, EMDR and ketamine, act to rewire your neural pathways and interrupt what may have become a more destructive, entrenched response pattern. But I'm going to mimic what Kimberly Quinlan has talked about, as does Adam Grant in his new book, Hidden Potential, which is a fantastic book, by the way. There's a lot about anxiety that boils down to wanting to be in ultimate control, being perfectionistic to the nth degree, overly anxious, worried about your kids, maybe your house, your body, your job, or your career. And rather than those thoughts and feelings associated with the need for that kind of control, those thoughts and feelings are actually going to prevent you from the very success you may want to achieve. As I said before, Kimberly says, it's a beautiful day to do a hard thing. Adam Grant, in his new book, Again, Hidden Potential, which I'm reading right now and is incredible, and I'm quoting him, if you want to get closer to right, it has to feel wrong. I love that. If you want to get closer to right, it has to feel wrong, meaning that you have to walk through discomfort. You have to walk through the unfamiliar. I've also often told my panic patients that I think of panic as your soul or your gut or your wise unconscious mind literally sending up flares of panic, screaming for your attention. Listen, 
listen, heads up, something's wrong. You're not paying attention to something that's important. If you can even visualize like from your soul or from your gut, little bursts of fire or light saying, listen up, listen up. Now, what are you not paying attention to? I don't know. That something could be past hurt or pain. It could be a present stress or source of chaos. But something is way, way wrong. Those panic flares are almost like fireworks, but in miniature. And they're happening inside of your own body and mind. Most of the time, if I say that, my patient will nod their head and say, you know, it does feel like that. So what am I supposed to be paying attention to? It could be huge credit card debt they've never talked about, a rape they've kept secret, a crime they committed, feelings they have that they've told no one. That's when I just wait and let them tell me what their best guess is. And actually, we kind of go on a scavenger hunt together. It's not made up. The panic attacks are real. But you want to try and get at the root of wherever the panic might be coming from. Some part of you that's aching for attention and compassion and help. To those of you who experience panic, if it's due and tied to trauma, I hope you'll seek treatment for that trauma, no matter how long ago it was. For those of you who might say, I can't really think of anything specific that it could be about, maybe it would be helpful to listen to those flares, and instead of hating them, I wish this damn panic would go away, what are the messages those flares are trying to give you? It's so important to listen to your panic, to not be panicked about having panic to not hate it, but to accept that your panic is trying to give you a message. Speak pipe message from drmargaretrutherford.com. Now let's hear from our speak pipe voicemail for this week. Dr. Rutherford, once it was too late, I realized my father is a narcissist. He encouraged the females in the family to be dependent on him and to never be independent and move on. He paid for everything and taught women were subservient to men and that it was God's will. Everything was peachy when I was young, when I was a young adult, but as I got older, he became more open with verbally, mentally, and emotionally abusing my mother, which she warned us about. Then he began to abuse both of his daughters as well. My mother died five years ago and now we're stuck at home as his printing bags with no work history or career. He's pretty much disabled, and my sister and I are spending our youth taking care of him while he abuses us and minimizes what we do for him. We don't really know what we should do. He has also turned everyone we know against us and lies on us. We are both looking for jobs, and we just don't know what to do with accepting this new reality of who our father is. Please help. Thanks so much to this listener for her comment. First included in your show notes is an article that covers a lot of really important points about trying to gain some distance from a relative with narcissistic personality disorder. I'd like to suggest to this listener that she not only read the article, but a book called Disarming the Narcissist. It's a really excellent referral source. The article that I mentioned talks about the quote-unquote gray rock technique. I never really heard that term used, but basically it's the idea that she shouldn't give her father any emotional fodder for him to manipulate, meaning that she needs to stay away from emotional conversations or having an emotional reaction to him at all. Now, this isn't easy, but if you stay in your mental, rational, objective mode and back off of conversations that you know will only lead to emotional chaos, then you can do that while 
expecting that he will then likely ramp up his efforts to pull you into a fight with him or have some kind of emotional response to him. Again, it's not easy, but when you can maintain that, it can give you a better sense of freedom from at least some of the emotional entanglement. Again, so you stay calm, cool, and collected. Again, the tape was a little fuzzy, but I think this listener said that she and her sister were looking for jobs. Now, expect that your father will likely tell you you're abandoning him, so you'll have to remain very focused. I can only imagine that if you've never had a job, then your own sense of confidence may be limited, and he may try to manipulate that. So set up some small things to try, things you've never done before, and I do mean small, that you can do and accomplish to help you with your self-confidence. Again, dependent upon how manipulative he is, he may try to sabotage your efforts to gain more independence from him. So you may need to keep information to yourself about what you're doing. Just don't give him the information. For example, you can open your own bank account so he can't use money to hurt you, and that will give you a sense of confidence. Do things that establish your credit, like getting a credit card as soon as you can and paying it off. You may think these things are silly and shame yourself for not doing them before, but it sounds as if he got in your way as best he could while also doing damage to your own sense of security and confidence. And last, you likely need to grieve not only your mom's death, but the fact that your dad has the problems he does. Your mom didn't leave him either, but I'm sure there were reasons that kept her from doing so. It does sound like she tried to warn you. You should have been loved and cared for and then supported in leaving to create your own life. Perhaps you and your sister can do that for one another and give each other support. Good luck to you. Again, start small. If your dad threatens any violence, you may need to talk with a friend to have a safe place to go. So be safe and take those small steps. Realize your dad will likely fight you on this and you try to fight not emotionally, but as objectively as you can. Again, please take care and good luck. Thank you all for being here today. I want to invite you to join my Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash self-work. In fact, I reached out to all of them this past week and got some great ideas for future self-work episodes. We have a lot of people who give great advice and share their lives on the page. But you can also tag me and I will get to your question or your comment and I will respond. We've also opened our Zazzle shop. You can buy self-work merch. You can get yourself a coffee cup or a hoodie. Hop over to my Instagram and I'll be showing those to people who are interested in them. They're pretty cool looking. Buying self-work merch helps me fund this podcast. And it's a great way to support both me and self-work. Thank you so much again for being here. I'm truly honored. Please take care of yourself, your loved ones, and your community. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been Self-Work.